Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined, as always, by Greg. Hello! And we're going to be reviewing Vast, the Crystal Caverns. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we have been playing quite a lot, actually. And we went over to our sometimes co-host Leslie's and played a couple of games. Sentinels of the Multiverse yes. was a new one that she was very excited to show us. It's one of her favorite games ever. And we had never played it before. Yeah. So this was a totally new experience for us. It is a card-based cooperative game uh, in which each player takes on the role of a different superhero, not established superheroes. So we're not talking DC, Marvel. These are completely original characters who have, you know, sort of common superpowers. You've got the the speedster who goes really super fast, kind of like Flash. You've got the Superman-esque person, the Iron Man analog. But really, each of these characters are very fleshed out in their own right, Yeah, which is one of the great things about the game. And then you are facing off against a boss. So the boss is, you know, very, very powerful. They've got like 200 health to your 40 or something. And every turn, they're going to be throwing minions at you they're going to be throwing death rays at you all of this sort of stuff that you have to try to fight around and then get back through and kill them and it's it's a really great game we had a lot of fun with it oh yeah we had a lot of fun i think that it was it was really interesting to get to you know play the different superheroes and like learn how they interact and how you want certain balances of different kinds of powers you know uh some that buff others others that just do stab damage and that kind of thing stab damage is pretty great yeah and and it's just very interesting to see just how you really are building a superhero team when you're playing the game um and we had a lot of fun yeah so we played a couple of games of that we started off you know like we mentioned it was our first game ever so we started off with an easy boss like the the one of the easiest tiers of boss in the game. It's from the core game. It's useful in introducing new players to some of the concepts. It was tough, but we we beat it. And then we played a second game, and being me, I flipped through the rule books and the supplements and found one of the highest rated, hardest bosses. And I was like, all right, let's fight this asshole. <laughs> and we did after sort of a bit of him and hawing from our hosts we did we faced off against progeny who's this sort of like gigantic evil silver surfer cosmic you know fuck you up type character oh yeah and we won <laughs> it came really down to the wire we were oh, going to yeah. start dying pretty much in the next turn yeah i think we had a character who finished the game with literally one health yes but that was also the character who just exploded for like 40 damage two turns in a row yeah exactly so as far as first play sessions go, you know, counting both games as a single session, I don't think you could have asked for a better introduction to a game. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you had all the highs and the lows. You had the, you know, oh, my God, we're going to die. And we had the, oh, my God, that's another, that's 20 hits that you did. That's 25. That's another 10. That's boom. You just completely, like, took half the health off of, like, this crazy boss character. And it's just really, really cool how different it can all be based on the characters that you're playing and the villains that you're facing and even the locations that you're at. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really fun game and we both really, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Leslie, for making us come over there and play the game because <laughs> we it's been sitting on my on my shelf for a while 
and you guys are making me feel guilty about my backlog and so it is a huge backlog we managed to get through two of them that day so the other one is a game that we've been talking about and it, it actually is one of the games that greg mentioned back in the holiday episodes that it's one of his like wish list kind of want to play games and that is custom heroes mm-hmm. and it's a very fun little trick-taking game that has a lot of silliness because you are augmenting these cards to like you know add numbers subtract numbers you know giving them lettuce like giving them a hot dog doing all these kinds of things to like the characters that are on the cards to change their power either up or down or anything like that and it it's just pretty hilarious yeah i i do think it bears a little bit of explanation neither lettuce nor hot dogs are numbers yes it was a little bit ambiguous from what jacob said there but yeah you don't you don't know that lettuce plus hot dog equals hamburger i did not know that and i don't know if that's true i think you need to retake basic maths but basically you've got these these cards these transparent cards that have stats on them so everyone has a number between one and ten and you know, it's a pretty standard game. Whenever it's your turn, you have to play a card that meets or exceeds the number that's currently on top of the stack. And If you can't or don't want to, then you pass. But throughout the game, you will acquire modifications, one for the right hand, one for the left hand, and then others that sort of just occupy a bottom slot. And each of these things can raise or lower the effective number or give it some sort of mutation where it says... Whenever you play this card, gain coins, which is how you use special abilities, or whenever you play this card, it counts as a a wild card if it's part of a set type of thing. So one of the primary balance mechanics of the game is that if you win a set, you gain points, like more points than anyone else. But if you lose a set, you gain more cards than anyone else. So you have more ability, and because the advancements can be sleeved, in the middle of a round, yep. you have more flexibility. You have more ability to respond. Say someone comes over top of you with a 15, and you're like, well, crap, now what do I do? Oh, wait a minute. I've got these cards in my hand that turn this into a 22. Yep. Aha, I take the set. I win the round. You know, mm-hmm. it gives you that sort of power that you can surge back. So very, very silly game, but it's it's a lot of fun. I think it takes a really, you know, I mean, trick-taking games are are as old as time. And it takes a a solid core gameplay element and ramps it up in a new, really fun way. Oh yeah, for sure. And then we also got another game to table on just now, Empires of the Void. That's right. Oh, Empires of the Void 2. Yes, that is true. Empires of the Void 2. We've played Empires of the Void before, and now we get to compare it to its sequel and or reboot and or however this Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how that works. Either way, it is... I think very worthy in terms of like being a successor to that game. I think it really took a lot of the good parts of the game, like with the creativeness of the different uh, empires and just how they all worked and just who uh, like the different ships and the different designs and all that cool stuff and turned it into a much better game mm-hmm. that relied a lot less on luck and just rolling dice and more on some strategy aspects, some like, you know, you can create alliances, you can take over planets, you can just, you know, visit them and be nice to them and that kind of stuff. And it, it was a very interesting game. I, I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was fun to get to table and, and like see all the cards and see how it all worked together. Yeah, it was great to finally sit down. Well, I say finally, we've had it for all of a week 
you know, sit down and play this much anticipated game. I think there was a lot going for it. It's got a lot of sort of really compelling iterative city building type gameplay, you know, upgrading your empire, getting more capacity so that you can upgrade your empire further, so on and so forth. It's got, you know, layered scoring where you'll, you know, score based on where you're at multiple times throughout the game. And I think there's a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to playing it again, and I'm also looking forward to playing it with more players. Yes, for uh, sure. This was just the two of us, which means there's sort of a, a scaling mechanic that causes about a third of the map yeah. to be taken over by this, essentially this galactic empire mm-hmm. that you can technically remove, like you can defeat them and remove them from a planet, but you have to overcome like 15 battle power, yeah. which is a lot. Yeah. Like, it, it's very late game that you would be able to do that, if at all, which just sort of means that your play area is circumscribed by things other than bumping up against other players. So yeah. definitely looking forward to playing that with more like four or five players, seeing how it changes, seeing if it is more or less combative, whether, you know, you're still able to make it to the, the heights of Empire that we did in this one. But overall, I think it's a solid game. Yeah, completely agree. And there you go. That's a look at what we've been playing. In a world where the knight goes into the cave for revenge on the dragon, the goblins are there trying to kill the knight. The dragon is just trying to escape. And the cave is trying to kill them all. Wait a minute, there's also a thief there for some reason. I don't know, I lost track. This game is very... vast. That's right, it's Vast the Crystal Caverns, that's our review for the day, and as Jacob suggested, this is an incredibly complex game. You have a whole bunch of different players sort of playing past each other, sort of playing with each other. You've got these almost alliances as people work towards completely separate goals. So let's start off with a quick overview of what the different factions slash characters are, and then we'll get into some of the shared mechanics. So the first one, as I mentioned, is the knight. And the knight pretty much is going into the cave to get revenge for her entire kingdom, pretty much, against this dragon that killed them all. It was 200 years ago. I should point that out. Having played the dragon recently, it wasn't my fault. I was uh, hungry back then. Exactly. So the knight is just going in there trying to hunt down the dragon. Her goal is to kill it. That's it. That is, that's what she's there. That's what she's doing. So the knight is going to explore the cave. She can walk on certain tiles, the ones that are lit up, and go through the cave. She has weapons, and she can level up her grit and get more powerful like most adventurers can. And, uh, you know, as she looks and explores the treasure, sees the events, she's, like, going through this whole cave and pretty much on a D&D adventure. Yeah, it's very standard sort of dungeon delvey RPG feeling. You've got stats, you level up those stats. You know, the difference is that you can reassign them uh, at the beginning of each turn based on whether you need to be strong or whether you need to be fast. But really, a lot of it feels very much like an RPG. And along those lines, there's the quintessential RPG enemy to the night, goblins. Right. Wouldn't be a cave adventure without goblins. 
The goblins are the second faction, and we say second because when players are seated at the table, there is actually an explicit order that they have to sit in because each of the factions is very carefully calibrated to take their turn at a specific point. So after the knight comes the goblins, and the goblins, their goal is to kill the knight. They are more of a shadowy type group. We mentioned the lit tiles, which the knight can explore and reveal and enter. Goblins can enter those, but they also can stick to the dark tiles, which are on the edges of the map. And from the dark tiles, they can launch sneak attacks. They can sort of set their monsters after her. They're very much an ambush, get in, get out type of situation. And they also aren't being controlled at the individual level. They're being controlled at the tribe level. So you have three different tribes of goblins. I, Fang, and Bone, I believe, are the three tribes, each of which has slightly different specialties. So you have to measure your strength versus your ability to gain you know hexes and monsters and things like that and it's very much a asymmetrical warfare types situation with the goblins exactly and then you go to the target of the knight's revenge who is the dragon the dragon itself is pretty much just trying to get away which is normally you think of a dragon being defend the horde destroy (laughs) everyone here Uh, but no this dragon is just like Peace, I want to get out. I'm waking up. I'm groggy, still asleep. I just want my, you know, breakfast of goblins and GTFO. Right. So what the dragon is trying to do is eat enough of the goblins until it is able to wake up. And then bursts out of the floor and flies out of the cave. Right. You've got a couple of different tracks that represent your sloth. You're kind of rousing yourself from your slumber at each time you accomplish certain objectives, whether that's eating goblins, gathering treasure, because you do want to protect your horde, or other objectives, you get to move one of those cubes from sloth into wakefulness. And the more awake you are, the more capacity you have. You have better armor, you draw more cards, which allows you to do more stuff. So the dragon is very much an accelerating playstyle. You're trying to... Just make it through the early game. You know, you're underground. The knight can't attack you unless she uses bombs. So really, you're kind of just trying to slowly accumulate more and more and more power until you surface and run away. That's your entire objective is to escape the cave. And the reason for that is because the cave is trying to murder you. Yes. So one of the really unique things about this game is that the fourth player is actually the cave itself. So the cave has two sequential goals. Their first goal is to just expand as much as possible. Every time a player explores a new zone, whether that's the dragon breathing fire and revealing new tiles, or whether that's the knight sort of opening up a new path with her torch, you get to decide which tiles are placed next in the sequence. So you're sort of controlling how the cave expands. You don't necessarily get to control what direction the walls turn, but you do have a sort of set of abilities at your disposal. You can cause there to be walls where there previously weren't walls, you can knock people around, you can terrify them. All of this because once the cave has reached its maximum size, once every tile is in play, you get to start collapsing. And once the collapse has begun, all you have to do is destroy five crystals. This is called Vast the Crystal Caverns. Once you've destroyed five crystals, you win. Essentially, the cave has collapsed to the point where it's impossible for anyone else to get out, and you have won the game which is fascinating yeah for sure and then as we mentioned we have the thief who is there for some reason because he is um (laughs) for some reason well he's cursed he needs to get some loot and 
break his curse. And that means that he is cursed to undeath, pretty much. As soon as anyone kills him, he just respawns right back at the entrance of the cave. Yeah. And he is doomed to be there forever, and he would rather be doomed to be there forever until he gets the loot, rather than under a pile of rocks, continuously being reborn in the entrance of the cave. That's understandable. So, the thief has pretty straightforward mechanics in general. He's got also stats similar to the knight. But rather than being able to reassign all of them at will, he has pretty much three different tokens that give him the stats that are static, and he gets to like place them in which stat that he thinks is more important at that time. And he can also, like whenever he gets some loot and takes it back and stashes it at the entrance, he is able to get an upgrade of a certain ability. And that way he's trying to you know move around and get better and better and try to get the six pieces of loot that he needs in order to break the curse and get away. Right. So you've got all of these five different players who are working at goals that are sometimes complementary, sometimes, you know, straight contradictory to one another, but everybody is playing in this really awkward asymmetrical round and there are a handful of shared mechanics. You know, we've talked about light and dark tiles. All of those are constant, but movement rules are slightly different. So, you know, the knight can't occupy dark tiles, but the thief and the goblins can because those things are integral to their character the dragon can move through dark tiles but only while they're underground so it kind of goes back and forth and the way that the different players take advantage of these tiles whether that's you know light versus dark or whether some tiles have a treasure on them some tiles reveal events things like that each of the players takes advantage of these shared gameplay elements in slightly different ways exactly so you know the the cave is going to Put the tiles down, for example, and if the cave thinks that the knight is getting a little bit too far ahead and the goblins need to rough him up a little bit, he might put an ambush tile right next to it and lure the knight there with a treasure token or something like that. Right. And there are just all different ways to use these different mechanics to your advantage based on the ways that you can interact with them as a different character exactly so you've got all of these sort of gameplay elements and and tools at your disposal i think especially when you're playing something like the cave because the cave is very much a role that's about balance you're trying to make sure that no one person gets ahead of any of the others because remember your goal as the cave is basically just to outlast everyone else and because the game ends in a victory as soon as any player achieves their victory condition It's your job to sort of make sure that, okay, that's not going to happen. You know, if the dragon's getting too close to being awake, you're going to use soporific spores to put them, you know, down a couple of cubes. Mm -hmm. If the goblins are taking chunks out of the night, you know, you can throw her a healing potion or a better weapon. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's, It's very much a balancing act for the cave. But you're not the only one. So, for example, if the the knight is getting beaten up by the goblins, you know, the dragon can also eat the goblins. And the dragon has an incentive to do so. But they also have incentives to do other things. So what they prioritize at any given moment can depend on the game state and sort of responding dynamically to, okay, who's the clear victor right now? Who's the front runner? Who do I need to slow down? Who do I need to sort of protect? And it's it's interesting considerations. It makes strange bedfellows, I suppose, is the, the phrase. Exactly. I mean, each character has its own way of interacting with all of the different other characters or other entities in this game. And 
it just makes it really interesting because there is something that you can do. Like you're you're well suited to do like more against certain characters than others, but there is always something that you can do to mess with a different entity. So, you know, even the thief can choose when and where to actually reveal tiles and like light them up and that can either help or hurt the cave. There are, the dragon can actually collapse some things and make the caves a pile of tiles that they want to place even bigger. The knight can, you know, kill the goblins, which of course is helping her not getting killed by the, by <laughs> the, uh, by the goblins. But it also, you know, if she kills the goblins that the thief is about to backstab, well, he can't backstab them now and can't take their loot and run away. So there are so many different interactions between these different entities that is fascinating just how the, it all works out and how a game can really make all this balanced. Right. I think that for me is one of the most essential things about this game and the most impressive is the fact that it is extremely balanced. You know, we've played three or four games of this now and every single time it's been a nail biter. Yeah. You know, it's come down to you won, but if you hadn't won, the next turn the cave would have won, and if you if the cave hadn't won, then the dragon would have won. You know, that type yeah. of situation. And so the fact that you've got all of these different factions doing completely different things, working towards completely different goals and doing it in very different ways, but all getting there at right around the same time is just remarkable from a design perspective. And I I Yeah, I'm speechless. There we go. That's <laughs> that's all there is to it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's just the amount of playtesting that had to go into this game in order to get this balance correct is amazing. Yeah. I think that they did an amazing job with it. And just like the feel of what the different characters do, because it's not like you have variable player powers and even variable objectives with certain other games when you're playing uh, people and other things like that. You know, you could be betraying someone, you could be doing whatever. I mean, D&D, &D, for example, each of you has different kinds of powers and that kind of thing. Exactly. But, like, this game is just like, you're playing a cave. <laughs> in D&D, &D, you're never going to play a cave. Well, honestly, the DM. But, like, it, it's just so creative what they took and just the mechanics that they really, really fit to those characters. Mm -hmm. So, like, one of my favorites is the goblins where when they have too many goblins in a tribe or where they're supposed to add more, they scatter or at least, you know, to a degree, because, well, the goblins are completely unruly. So they're going to, like, you know, lose people, and they're going to, like, you know, have infighting and all that. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to lose population when there are too many of them all together in one tribe. Or, you know, how they can be like, either visible and, like, you know where they are, or they can be in complete darkness and you can just get ambushed by them. It's just a really cool mechanic. Or just the interaction between the cave and the knight is also really cool. Because the cave is the one who chooses what events happen to the knight and what treasures the knight has to, to choose from, pretty much. And both like, those interactions can like make them almost sort of allies, but also like give the, the cave a lot of power to just be like, no, screw you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you something shitty. But then the knight can be like, all right, I'm not going to take this. I'm still going to take grit and power myself up. Right, And it's just those different interactions that really, really fuel this game. Yeah. There's definitely uh, an interesting layer of symbiosis at pretty much every interaction between every set of players. For all that praise, 
No game is perfect, as we're fond of saying. And I think one of Vast's greatest strengths is also one of its greatest weaknesses, and that is the complexity. So you have this incredibly precarious balance, this incredibly well-done balance between all these different factions. But what that sort of means is that, one, you're learning your own incredibly complex set of rules. You know, there are some shared mechanics, but each faction has its own full eight and a half by 11 page player guide, front and back, that tells you the things you need to know about playing your character. And that's just a lot to process. Especially when you, you don't really have someone to ask, because it's not like you can lean over as playing in the night and go uh, to the goblins and say, like, hey, how do how does my movement work? Because they don't know. Like, right. yeah, unless they're the ones who like, have played every character in this game, they just don't know what the other characters do and how they actually work. So it is very much either... Someone has to learn everything and teach that, or you have to have people who would be able to just learn their role just from reading the actual page. Right, which becomes a hindrance, not just in terms of of sort of establishing your comfort level with the game and getting to the point where you feel effective as your own character, but it also becomes a detriment to you in actually trying to win. So our last game, we played on stream, some of you may have seen, Jacob was the thief. And we had never played in a a game with the thief before because it's recommended that if you're playing with fewer than five players, you leave the thief out. So no one at the table knew what the thief did, and Jacob won. And we were all, you know, pretty salty about it. We were like, oh my god, the thief is so overpowered. But I don't think that's true. I don't think the thief is overpowered. I think the reason Jacob cruised to victory is because none of us knew what the thief did well enough to counter him effectively. And so when you have to learn not just what you do, but what each of the four completely unique other players is capable of doing in order to fulfill your role effectively and secure the victory, that is a lot to process, and that is a very steep learning curve. Not only that, like you have to know what they do, and then you also have to know in what ways can you counter that. As a thief, I didn't really have very many ways of countering certain strategies. Mm-hmm. Like, there are certain things that I could do with a cave, but after a certain point, that was it. Like, I had nothing. Yeah. So it's just, there's a lot of things going on to, into this and a lot of learning that has to be done. And you have to trust your players to do that. Yeah. Well, that all being said, let's talk about what we think of this game fully like in general this whole game greg what rating would you give it at the end of the day i think it's a play it from me i i like what it has going on i think it's a game that rewards repeated play both from the perspective of it gives you more opportunity to try out new roles to learn more about how the game functions at the levels of interaction but also the fact that there are variants that you can play you know if you have fewer than five players there's a different variant for just about every combination of characters that you could use. So there's a lot of replayability there, and I think it rewards that. But it's also a very hard game to introduce to new people. So I think I'm more in the camp of find someone who owns it, have them teach it to you, and play it with them. I think that's going to be a more rewarding and certainly an easier experience. Yeah, and I could totally see that. This game is one of those that is for a specific audience. It is definitely for more hardcore gamers and 
people with gaming groups who can actually be trusted to, as I said, teach themselves the rules. Right. But that being said, I think it's unique enough that I have to give this a, a buy it because just the imagination, the, the balance that has gone into this has made the game so completely unique among all the games that I have on my gaming shelf. And just the way that it plays, the theme, all of that, just make it interesting enough that it's worth teaching new people the rules and being that person who knows how they all play. And it's one of the games that I do struggle to bring to table, but really want to bring to table more. All right. Well, there you go. It's a split vote. Play it from me, buy it from Jacob. And that is our review of Vast the Crystal Caverns. Before we go, of course, we're going to talk about a few games that are similar to this, although, you know, not a lot is similar yeah. to this. One of the games that we did feel like was similar is A Distant Plane. We've talked about yep. it before. It's a coin series game in which you play one of the factions competing for basically control of Afghanistan during the War on Terror. And it is very much in the same vein as far as you've got four different factions some of which are nominally working together. You know, the, the Afghan government and the counterinsurgency forces are allies on the surface, but their actual victory conditions couldn't be more different, and sometimes those are working at odds with one another. So if that's an aspect of VAST that you find interesting, you find compelling, a distant plane is a great way to take some of that core gameplay and really ratchet it up into an even more complex, nuanced space. Yeah, and the other game is a bit more on the uh, silly side, or maybe even <laughs> ridiculous side. Yeah, you could say that. And that is Cosmic Encounters. If, if you want variable player powers, this is the game to get it. I mean, each and every race of Alien has a completely different way of breaking the game. And it just has a lot of different play styles that you can do based on which aliens you get and which aliens you're playing how you want to play, you, you have a lot of that kind of player interaction where sometimes you're working together with people, sometimes you're fighting against them, depending on what is better for you at that moment. And it also has that learning curve to a degree because you have easier aliens to learn and also some that are completely ridiculous and difficult to learn. So I think it is really interesting. It has a little bit less of the spatial aspect of Vast, but it has a lot more of the different player powers and other things like that that you can play with. So if that's the part of Vast that you like, that everyone is so different, definitely check out Cosmic Encounters. And there you have it. That's our review of Vast. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to tune in this Wednesday when we stream near and far. We're moving towards a more consistent schedule. We'll have that posted for you in a couple of weeks, so you'll be able to see, hey, this is a game I really like. I'm going to tune in this week. Um, hopefully that's something that more people can enjoy. They can follow specific games as opposed to just being left at our mercy. Speaking of our mercy, next week we're going to be reviewing Zombicide Black Plague and talking about all of our myriad experiences with that. Hope the you game join. that had no mercy on us. <laughs> we hope you join us. <laughs>